Welcome to Bow Talks, a podcast by Banking on Women, which is a student society at the University of Melbourne. We are dedicated to empowering, educating and encouraging our members in the financial and professional services industries. Bow would like to respectfully acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulon Nations, who are the traditional custodians of this land, on which we will be recording this podcast on. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome, Mike, to an episode of Bo Talks. I'm really looking forward to chatting to you today. Now, we always like to start off by getting to know you a bit better. So could you tell us a bit about yourself and your passions? Thanks, Imogen. It's great to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, so to introduce myself, I'm an Associate Director at UBS. Um, I've been here for three or four years now, um, starting as a summer intern back in the summer of 2016, uh, 2017. Um, I started off in the consumer products and retail team um, and transitioned into the general industrials team a little bit after that, uh, in which we we cover a broad range of industries. Um, uh, In particular, I sort of focus on the leisure and gaming industry. Um, For for those that don't know a whole lot about um, investment banking, um, what we really do is um, provide advice to our clients in relation to a broad range of strategic initiatives, um, including mergers and acquisitions, uh, any divestments, as well as um, raising money um, to fund growth or to um, improve balance sheet. Um, so that's professionally. I mean, outside of work, um, some of my hobbies, uh, actually, I've really enjoyed gardening in lockdown. There's not much else to do. Um, Really enjoyed gardening, um, probably my favourite hobby, which I haven't been able to do a whole lot of um, in lockdown is surfing. Um, growing up on the morning to Peninsula, um, yeah, spending a lot of time on the beach and surfing and then and then to round it out, probably um, AFL, um, love watching all games, but in particular Essendon, big Essendon man. Very nice. I'm a big Saints fan, so it's been a rough 21 years. But <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, it's been. Um, I think it's been. I don't know, 18 years or something since since Essendon's won a final. So yeah, um, I was yeah I was seven years of age in 2000 when uh, we won the grand final, and it was sort of a bit <laughs> too early in my memory to um, <laughs> to really register. So as far as I'm concerned, no success at all for my whole, whole entire life. So yeah, I feel you there. <laughs> Pretty rough. I'm just hoping for one premiership in my lifetime. That's the dream. Yeah, yeah. I'd be happy with just the one. I'd be die happy, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great getting to know a bit more about you. Um, now, could you tell me, I know you studied commerce and law at uni. So what drew you to work in finance rather than law? Yeah, so um, going into university, um, so I studied yeah, com law at Monash University, Um I probably went into the degree thinking I was actually going to go down the law path um, just because I uh, really enjoyed legal studies at school. Um, obviously, there's a lot of lot of pretty cool movies in which you see lawyers and that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I went in probably leaning towards um, that way and I did really enjoy um, studying both across um, the five to six years. Um, I think probably what led me to, to end up going down a finance path was um, to probably, a, you know, as, as you go through um, and you start to build up your knowledge, there, I started, I started um, investing on my own behalf, uh, which I really, really enjoyed. So I started doing a whole lot of reading on different companies, um, 
investing on my own behalf and sort of becoming a little bit addicted to checking my stock portfolio probably a little bit too often. Um, <laughs> and that sort of probably got me going in terms of sort of reading and building up my knowledge database, uh, which led into subscribing to the Australian Financial Review, uh, reading that regularly. Um, and I think probably the thing that drew me in probably the most in relation to investment banking um, was, uh, well, firstly, um, it requires a lot of financial analysis and valuation, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, I like sort of, um, you know, taking some inputs and and using them in a, in a specific way such that you end up with very useful outputs that you can analyse and interpret. Um, and I think probably more broadly as well is the great thing about doing investment banking is that you you, you can form really strong, uh, long-lasting and trusted um, relationships with clients um, and you can sort of help them achieve all of their strategic goals, um, whether that be growing through, um, you know, organic strategic initiatives, but also um, by um, helping them with acquisitions, uh, whether that be in the same industry, different industry, um, and sort of advising them along the way. So that's probably... Um, yeah, what I found what I found really interesting. Um, one thing I would say is um, that I think law has helped me a lot along the journey, and I think the reason that is is because it it teaches you to think in a really logical and structured way um, to address issues and problems. Like I know, thinking back to law exams, where you know an exam is worth one hundred percent of your mark for the whole semester. And it'll literally just be like a, you know, a hypothetical situation about Bob being at a party and X, Y, and Z happens to him, please advise, 100 marks. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's up to you to sort of clearly think through the issues and come up with a really logical and structural answer and way of thinking about things um, in a concise way. So I think that's I think that's really helped me. Um, and obviously there is some overlap as well in our, in our investment banking to law because, there are whole, whole lots of, um, you know, legal uh, issues and, and things that you need to consider um, to get a transaction done. Um, you know, an obvious one being um, competition issues. You know, if a, if a company's acquiring another another business, um, the key test is to make sure that that doesn't, um, you know, substantially lim- limit competition in that industry. So it has helped me in that, that regard as well. Um, and probably also worth mentioning is that... Um, a lot of the people I work for actually uh, at UBS and investment banking were actually lawyers to start off. So the skills are quite um, transitionable. Um, and yeah, we do see a lot, you know, a lot of highly successful lawyers turn into investment bankers. Yeah, it's great to hear how they tie in together. I suppose just having that like breadth of knowledge would help in that situation. Um, Definitely, yeah. And also I love hearing that you sort of started from the grassroots level of investing yourself. Definitely. So you're currently (laughs) an associate at UBS. So would you be able to take us through a day or maybe a week in your life? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, so I've become an associate um, this year, um, which is, um, yeah, it's been been really, really enjoyable and interesting. I think something... um, about the investment banking industry is that it requires sort of a big um, transition and evolving of skills as you progress um, throughout your career. So I think to sort of sum it up, um, as an analyst, you sort of 
responsible for the numbers, um, attention to detail, doing all the analysis, um, building up all those skills, which you obviously need as you get more senior um, and being responsible for that. And I really enjoyed that because you could sort of focus in on, you know, particular things at a time and you make sure that everything is perfect in that one thing that you're focusing on and enables you to build up your skill set. Um, now that I'm an associate director, um, your role broadens a little bit. Um, you obviously have some analysts that you're working with um, and, you know, it's more about being across multiple different things and, and managing work streams, um, you know, reviewing work a lot more as well, um, sort of being able to to look at just a page of, of numbers and not having to, you know, go through a detailed Excel backing and being able to, to sort of pick up anything that looks a bit odd or, things like that. So those are the skills that I'm really enjoying sort of building on now. Um, and I think probably uh, probably the other thing as well is you're sort of responsible for a bit more brainstorming and thinking about opportunities and ideas and things that you can pitch to clients. Um, you know, you can go to a client and say, have you thought about, um, you know, a potential merger with this business? We think you're highly complimentary. There'd be a lot of benefits from that, um, which has been good. And then I think probably the next step after you know, as you continue through an associate director, which is for three years and uh, progress to a director and beyond, um, it's really about um, really nailing down those those long-term trusted relationships with clients such that when things do pop up, they they call you first and um, you're there to sort of help them through. Um, yeah, so I'm really enjoying it um, and working across a couple of, a couple of pretty exciting and, and different things at the moment. I think as we'll talk about later, it's pretty busy in the, in the market yeah. at the moment. Yeah, that's some great insight, I guess, into the progression like through analyst to associate and how the role becomes more client-facing. And I suppose you're doing more and more of what you mentioned earlier that you're interested in, in like helping clients at the most important parts of their businesses' lives. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good summary. Now I'd love to hear your perspectives, Mike, on what the impacts of COVID and working from home has been on your role and the functioning of the bank in general? Yeah, so um, there's no doubt COVID has been pretty tough on, um, I think, on everyone, um, both both professionally and uh, personally, um, no doubt. Um, I actually, I was a bit of an interesting one last year where I actually broke my foot quite badly in March, about two weeks before um, COVID lockdowns happened. Oh, no. um, it all escalated quite quickly. So um, it was a bit of an interesting situation for me because the first couple of months of, of COVID and lockdowns and everything, I was obviously going through surgeries and uh, in a lot of pain with my foot. And it, it sort of didn't really quite hit me until, you know, I was sort of okay by May and all of a sudden, you know, the world had changed significantly. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been, it's definitely been challenging. I mean, from a work perspective, um, I think probably the most challenging aspects for businesses are the impacts on collaboration. Because um, I mean, there's there's not really you know that same level of chat throughout the day and sort of just being able to easily tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Do you think we should be doing this? Um, and I think. I think as part of that as well, a somewhat related concept is um, something I've, re- I've really missed as well as just the open office floor plan that most businesses have these days because, um, you know, usually in pods in which 
at any given point in time, there's there's a pretty interesting conversation um, taking place. And I think that's one of the key rationales for the way they set offices up. The way they do is, um, you know, usually, you know, a managing director or something's having an interesting call or um, often they'll tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, do you want to come and listen to this? It'll be good for you to listen to, good experience, that sort of stuff. So um, there's definitely challenges in that regard. Um, and I think I think uh, UBS and probably the industry more broadly has gotten better at it um, as, as we've progressed over the last 18 months or so um, in terms of, you know, some key things we do are um, having regular um, Zoom calls, team meetings, um, having improved, you know, functionality that we can quickly um, access each other on a secure platform, um, share things. Um, so that's all been pretty helpful. But I think um, I think probably probably the the biggest impact is probably which is which is related to professional is is social and personal because um, people have a lot going on in their lives. They have a lot of extra, you know, more extra challenges they need to deal with. Um, and I think it's been really important that um, businesses sort of provide people with the opportunity to still do everything they need to do at home and to be able to you know, um, relax and take some time out, go for walks, um, you know, do what you can do in COVID just to just to sort of mentally refresh and, um, yeah, you know, um, survive through such a long and extended period. So um, it's definitely been tough, but, I mean, I must admit it's, it's sort of been going on for so long now that it almost feels like the norm, um, given I've been at UBS for four years and we're sort of approaching approaching 18 months now of, of uh, lockdowns, really, in Melbourne on and off. So, yeah. That's quite scary to think about when you look at it that way. It is. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I, I can imagine that, you know, being in the office, like you'd probably just be absorbing so many little things, like little pointers that would, like, help you in your learning journey that I guess you're not exposed to when you're just working from home. So I can imagine that would be quite a challenge. That's right. That's right. One thing I would say, though, is... I think um, a lot of businesses will actually take learnings out of COVID. Um, like, for example, UBS, um, like we had a pretty good um, working from home sort of set up uh, in terms of technology and being able to do things when you go home from the office at night, not having to always be in the office. But I think, um, you know, we, we've been encouraged and incentivized to substantially improve that platform and that and that capability through COVID as well. So, I think, um, you know, in, in an industry which is um, has a reputation of, of being quite intense and, and long hours, I think, I actually think that, um, that UBS and hopefully the industry more broadly as we sort of emerge from lockdown, there won't be that, that sort of expectation that whenever you're busy you need to be in the office um, mm. sort of thing. Like I'm hoping and, um, you know, this is definitely supported by a lot of people in the organisation that, the new sort of norm will be that, um, you know, you go home, you spend time, a bit more time with your family and your friends and everything, and then because you've got such a such a um, readily accessible, um, accessible technology platform that you can access from just your laptop at home, um, that you can just log back on and be a bit more flexible with your working arrangements. So I definitely think that's a positive um, to hopefully come out of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely sounds like a silver lining, mm. not requ- not requiring to be in the office 24-7 and get in those face hours. Definitely. Would you say that while you're in lockdown currently, 
that being like completely working from home has impacted your ability to maintain a work-life balance? Like is there an expectation to sort of be connected more of the time because there's less separation between work and home? Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, I think I think in particular at times in which, you know, you're super, super busy. Um, I mean, partly probably because of my own eagerness and, um, um, you know, <laughs> well, uh, eagerness to do a really good job on things. Um, you can sort of forget about doing much else. And you, um, like, for example, we helped a, a client on a um, on a, a capital raising last year that was that was quite intense for for a couple of weeks. And I sort of got to the end of the couple of weeks and realised that I hadn't really done that much. <laughs> like I just sort of woke, wake up, go to my desk and, um, and yeah, and spend a lot of time at my desk. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think we've all gotten a lot better at um, sort of realising that that isn't sustainable and we sort of need to, to learn to, to make things a bit more sustainable um, given how extended um, the current situation is. So um, I think um, what I found really important is... Uh, making sure that I get good chunks of exercise in um, during the day. That, that helps me a lot personally. I know everyone's different, but I usually wake up and go for a walk or a bike ride before work, um, but then also try and get some more exercise in before dinner as well. Um, uh, you know, if we, if we need to log in again after dinner, then, then you know, it's, it's pretty easy to do, but um, hopefully not. So uh, that's that's sort of been my coping mechanism. And then a, a lot of obviously... Um, uh, Zoom chats with our family and friends and, and those sorts of things as well. Yeah, okay, that's great. It's good, um, I suppose, for students who are looking to enter the industry to take some notes, make sure to put some time aside for exercise. Yes, definitely. So on top of a shift to working from home, we touched on this earlier, but there has been a surge in M&A activity in the recent months. Um, so how has this level of deal flow affected your role and UBS in general? Yeah, so um, yeah, the market the market has been um, pretty crazy for the last twelve months or so. Um, there's been lots of M and A activity. Uh, there's also been uh, you know lots of um, um, capital raisings from companies, given given COVID impacts on their businesses, particularly if they're retail based. Um, obviously, with store closures for extended periods, um, and and you know not not necessarily all cost stopping. Um, uh, during those periods in which stores aren't open, um, there's been yeah a whole surge of businesses that need to raise money. So which which is a core sort of function of investment banks. Um, we can help them do that either by debt or by equity through shareholders. Um, in terms of M and A as well, um, there's been a lot of activity um, as well um, from private equity firms. Given there's a whole lot of cheap money out there as well as as well as businesses. I mean you can borrow pretty cheap at the moment given how low interest rates are so I think that's one of the factors that's that's really been driving it um in terms of the implications on UBS and myself um I think I think it just means that we're doing a lot more execution style work um when you think of an investment bank you can sort of broadly split um the work into two categories um being execution as well as sort of marketing uh, marketing being where you're going and presenting new ideas to to clients, brainstorming those sorts of things um, to sort of generate more work and execution being when you're actually executing on a transaction. Um, so 
it's definitely been um, yeah a, a busy execution sort of twelve months. Um, when you look across when you look across the floor, everyone's doing some really exciting and interesting transactions um, and getting a lot of experience sort of fast tracked that potentially wouldn't have wouldn't have happened um, if it wasn't for sort of the weird situation we're in at the moment. Um, the way that you know the COVID's impacting the economy and markets and um, you know, interest rates and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, so it's been um, it's been really busy, and um, it's probably been a benefit as well that there's there's something to do in lockdown for all of us the last uh, twelve months or so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely sounds like a very unique time to be in the banking industry. I think definitely, yeah, and I, yeah. I suppose there's much less marketing work to be done if the work's just coming straight to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's been really great to hear about your progression within the bank um, and how COVID and working from home has affected that. Now, I'd love to touch on the issue of diversity. So, of course, the financial services industry is historically male-dominated. We're starting to see the industry change in that respect, which is exciting. Mm. So how is UBS UBS specifically tackling the issue of diversity? Yeah, so... um... I think I think UBS um, values it um, really strongly, which which is good. Um, and we we have sort of a broad range of initiatives that we undertake um, regularly, um, albeit some have been a little bit COVID impacted, to really sort of increase education um, about the industry and the opportunity available to all people, um, no matter what what you know their characteristics are. Um, to list a couple of things, I mean. Um, we're proud to be a member of um, the Diversity Council of Australia, as well as recognised as an employer of choice of gender equality. Um, I think more specifically, um, and ones that sort of I've been involved in, which which I think have worked really well, um, and listeners may have heard of this, is sort of the Women's Winter Internship slash Scholarship, um, which which we do, and uh, I know some other other banks do as well, which is typically sort of a three to four week program over winter in which um in which there's the opportunity at the end to um to to actually secure secure a spot for the summer as well and as part of that we usually um provide some funding as well to those to those um to those people to help with their education and um you know and progressing their career um some other things that we do as well is um is some women in banking networking sessions as well uh, I think we did a couple by Zoom last year because um, we couldn't do them face to face, and um, the, we actually unfortunately had planned a sort of larger scale in person one for this meeting, which unfortunately got cancelled um, by COVID again. But um, yeah, I think um, I think generally, I mean, there's a whole bunch of programs I can list. Some other ones which listeners may choose to to Google are um, APAC Tomorrow's Talent Program as well, which will be uh, launching in APAC as well as um, the Women's Leadership Academy. Um, but I think probably more generally, the key point is that, um, as you mentioned, um, it's completely correct that the industry sort of historically and and um, you know, has has sort of been male dominated, and it's, it definitely has that re- reputation across the industry. Um, what we're really trying to do is educate people, and um, you know, educate people about the opportunity, and that it can be exciting for all people, and and to try and sort of just get that that interest, gauge the interest, and um, and sort of equalise as well the um, 
the proportion of applicants, which is still, you know, a little bit one-sided uh, between males and females in particular. Um, so we, we, that's the sort of the approach that we're taking is that if we can increase and improve education um, amongst everyone and um, then that should hopefully naturally flow through to applicants, um, which which obviously naturally again flows through into the organisation um, as well. So, um, yeah, I think um, I think that's probably the approach we've taken. And I think in the last um, few years, um, I've seen it be highly successful as well. Um, there's you know, one of the one of the my colleagues who I work very closely with um, who is one of the yeah, more impressive people that I have worked with um, came out of the women's internship program two years ago. Um, so I think that's an example of, of um, yeah, you know, how, how it can all come to fruition. It's working quite nicely. But I'd like to see it continue to, to improve probably across the industry and, and for people to, to realise more and more that there are opportunities in this industry for everyone and it can be interesting for everyone. Yeah, it's great to hear that you guys are so involved, like, with that area and doing so much work in that space. And I'm sure that, like, as we see greater representation, we can expect more women to aspire to those careers and hopefully, like, that will create um, sort of natural diversity. Definitely. Also from that, I know that, like, banks are making such uh, great strides in employing diversity in the lower levels, but... Do you think that there's perhaps different work that needs to be done in retaining women in higher levels and executive positions or is that perhaps something that will just, again, come naturally as um, we see more diversity in the lower levels? Um, yeah, I think I think probably a bit of both. Um, as you mentioned, I think the more, the more we get through the junior levels, um, that's naturally going to flow through um, and... I think I think at the moment as well, there's there's obviously a big a big focus on um, improving the rep- representation at, at sort of the more senior ranks as well, whether that be from people within the industry, but also from related um, industries with similar skill sets that can that can transition ac- across um, quite successfully. I think as part of that, it's it's really about um, creating an environment that that is enjoyable and, and does work for everyone as well, which which is probably a little bit related to, to you know, the work-life balance and, and things like that. Um, I mean, anyone anyone in this industry for, to stay long-term, um, they probably, you know, it needs to be sustainable. You still need to be able to, um, you know, spend sufficient time with your family, um, those sorts of things. So I think it is a little bit of both, but I'd like to say that, um, you know, if we fast-track five, ten years into the future through a combination of both natural progression as well as as well as well um, the other things I was talking about, that we see a much more even representation at uh, the senior ranks in investment banks for sure. Yeah, great. And I guess hopefully another silver lining out of COVID might be like that acceleration towards a more fle- flexible workplace might make it more accessible for... I think, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like for example, like I think you know, as, as I was talking about earlier in terms of the increased accessibility from home, like potentially that provides the opportunity for for a, a mum that's just had kids, obviously you can have your maternity leave, but potentially that provides the opportunity to be able to more effectively and productively work from home um, so that, you know, you, you might 
you know, not be in the office every day or you might, you know, leave at certain times so you can pick up your kids. I think that's sort of where um, the industry is heading and, and particularly where UBS is heading. So, um, yeah, it's exciting to see how it's sort of going to play out, um, particularly as as things normalise post-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess from that, uh, why do you think that diversity is important in the financial industry? And I guess what impacts can it have, like maybe on the work that's done? Yeah, so um, from my perspective, um, like the key, the key to um, to a good investment bank is the people. Um, the reason for that is, um, you know, the investment banks that do really well, they have they have those really deep and long-standing relationships with clients. So I think, I think diversity helps that in terms of um, being able to have that, sort of have that broad network of, you know, trusted um, clients. So, you know, people relate to different people. It, it's better to sort of have a diverse um, workforce in that regard. But I think also um, in terms of just collaboration and brainstorming in teams, um, I always find it's helpful just to have people from you know diverse backgrounds so that they can bring different views, different skill sets, etc. Because um, there isn't really much point in having a team where everyone's exactly the same. Um, yeah. You know, part of part of our um, key principles that we try and reinforce regularly is um, is challenge. So being able to actually challenge each other, challenge the status quo. Um, you know, is this really the right way that we should be doing things? In which you know people have a different view. Um, and we sort of really encourage that debate and that and that um, that discussion in the office. So I think it all goes to that um, in particular in terms of having yeah, diverse people. It brings diverse ideas, um, which yeah, which which helps the organisation for sure. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. I guess it makes sense that yeah, diversity of thought will like strengthen a team and make it have greater perspective and able to solve a problem more effectively. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, probably the other element as well is um, um, something that I've I've really enjoyed as well is um, having had the benefit of working under some senior females at UBS. Is they bring a bit of just um, bit of a different approach in relation to um, in relation to managing and you know at, at stages you can feel that you know they're potentially more approachable in relation to different issues. They've sort of got the female touch on things. Um, as well so I think that that's an an added benefit as well yeah it's great to hear that that's sort of like valued in the higher levels and valued within a bank yeah Um, now I'd love to move on to some interview and application tips for our students listening because you've been on both sides of the interview process I'm sure you can provide some great insight to our listeners from both lenses so we'll start from the beginning of the process so as students are going into the application season, could you highlight the reason and the importance for familiarising yourself with the company and networking? Yeah, so um, it's really important. Um, and when I think about sort of what you need to demonstrate um, to successfully get a job sort of in the modern era, I think it's really three things. Um, the first one being obviously the ability to do the job well, um, but the other two things being a, um, a passion for the job as well as um, as well as showing that you can fit into the culture um, and sort of be able to work within the teams effectively of that organisation. So I think um, uh, familiarising yourself with the company really helps with those last two things, um, as it enables you to learn more more about the organisation, work out whether it's something that you want to do. Um, that also comes across in the interview to show that you've done your research and. 
and it is sort of something that, that fits for both parties. Um, I think as part of that um, networking, which um, is obviously a bit more difficult in the current environment, but it's it's really important to have sort of at least sort of reached out and had some preliminary conversations with a couple of people from, from each of the firms in which you are um, applying. Um, um, and that, that again, enables you to work out what it's really like to be on the floor each day um, and, and to, you know, work out whether that, whether that would suit you, how do the teams work, how's the communication, are they big teams, small teams, do they work quite independently, do they work as a team, and that sort of enables you to, to work out whether it really suits you. Um, so I think um, it's sort of that side in terms of working out whether it's the right choice for you, but I think on the other side as well, it helps it helps your sort of prospects of success in the interview because when you're on the other side as an interviewer, you see a person that's, you know, obviously done their research, they've put a lot of time and effort into your organisation, they've reached out to people, it shows that they're quite invested and and they are, um, you know, really interested in the job, which, which is really helpful. Yeah, great. And I can imagine that, you know, by ascertaining the firm's culture, that would really convey in the interview, like regardless of whether you've met the actual interviewer, I'm sure that that would really come across. And I love what you I love what you mentioned about um, sort of trying to see if you'd like to work there as well, because I think that that's definitely something students can forget. Um, definitely, and I think it's super important. Yeah, I've, I've been there where you just sort of you just sort of you know you, you're applying, you say you know just someone give me a job, someone <laughs> give me something. Um, and it's yeah. easy to sort of feel that way, but um, I think yeah, I, I challenge everyone to sort of try and. Um, to you know, move past that thinking and and treating it more like a two way street. And I think that that probably works out better for both the organisation and the person in the, in the long run. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a great mindset to have. So, how did you approach networking, or do you have any tips for the best way to go about it? Yeah. So um, when I when my approach to interviews was. Um, I really just attended sort of every networking event that I could possibly um, go to sort of in the six to 12 months uh, in the lead up to interviews. Um, from that, I met some really good people from each of the organisations and there were sort of, you know, coffee catch-ups that followed on from that. So um, to the extent that's sort of, um, you know, it's possible to do in the current environment where maybe Zoom calls or phone calls after, after networking events, it's, it's really important just to sort of reach out and do those things and, and don't feel sort of awkward or shy about doing that. I mean, once, once um, you know, you get hired to these firms, it's, it's part of, you know, your role as an employee to, to, market, to market your company and actually have these coffee catch-ups and things like that. That's very normal and something we do all the time. So don't, don't be afraid of sort of reaching out to people. Um, I think the other thing is, is doing, doing your research um, about the company um, and, you know, in an investment banking context, um, that's that's really, you know, reading about um, sort of M&A activity or capital raisings or things that that bank has done recently such that if that does come up in the interview, you can say, oh, you know, I read about this in the Australian Financial Review, thought this part was really interesting, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that really differentiates um, some candidates from others because it shows that they're they do have, you know, a genuine interest in the industry and, and the firm and, and you know, it, um, yeah, it really is impressive from the other side if people are able to do that. So I think as part of that, and I did touch on it, is it's really difficult to sort of um, cram um, 
cram in relation to like industry and and company knowledge, um, particularly when you're applying, you know, to a lot of different um, companies in a short period of time. I'd highly recommend um, if you do have an interest in applying for investment banking um, to um, have a subscription, get a subscription to the Australian Financial Review and just start reading. And it might seem a bit overwhelming um, at first. There's a lot of financial jargon, et cetera. Um, but that's that's really sort of how you build your um, your knowledge base and your commercial awareness. And um, I think it really, it really does, um, you know, pay dividends in those interviews when you can talk about different deals and trends going on in the industry as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it absolutely would come across um, for someone that's been sort of like keeping up with the markets and like kept their finger on the pulse for a longer period of time rather than just right before the interview. So once you've made it through the application stage, could you maybe briefly run us through how the interview process is structured? Maybe like touch on the different kinds of people you'll, you'll interview with at different stages and how that varies. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I can probably speak to the way that UBS does it. I'm not sure about other other places, but in terms of how we do it, um, you obviously submit an application. Um, if you get through to sort of the next phase, we go to um, online testing. Um, in which you, you tend to do um, three different tests, one being numerical, one sort of being verbal and grammar, another one being inductive logical slash problem-solving um, test. Um, as part of that, um, I, think it's, I think it's important to sort of do a bit of practice on those sorts of things um, before, you, before you get in. So have a Google. I think there are some free ones and also some, some sort of more subscription-based ones that I think do really help um, with those sorts of things. So once you get through that stage, um, we go to um, sort of the, the video interviews um, and <clears throat> or video interviews slash face-to-face interviews, depending on depending on the, the environment and whether we can actually, um, you know, catch up and meet up with people. But the way, the way that's usually structured is that um, we do three interviews on the day. Um, the first one being behavioural, um, the second one being um, a case study, which is more technical, will sort of give you a sort of like a, an investment banking style um, um, hypothetical scenario in which you have time to, to go away and, and read about it and prepare um, to answer some questions or, you know, present to it shortly and answer some questions that we ask. Um, and the third one um, being a sort of more commercial um, interview as well, um, which which, um, as I was mentioning before, and that's that's sort of really an opportunity in which you can show your, um, you know, your general commercial awareness, your knowledge of the industry, trends, deals, etc., stuff like that. Okay, yeah, that's a great summary. Thank you. Um, so maybe it'd be great to touch on those specific types of questions a bit later. But before that, I'd just like to ask more broadly, like, what do you think it means to be prepared for the interview? Like, can you be over prepared? Like, what's your sort of views on that? Well, the way I treated it was um, uh, like I did sort of study study for, for my interviews. Um, I remember finishing exams um, and sort of having, I think, two weeks, um, two weeks or so um, until investment banking interviews. Maybe it was three weeks and I made sure I had, you know, a little bit of a break a week or so and then, and then I was really straight back into it in terms of studying and, and, um, and maybe I did sort of overload a little bit, but um, it did sort of give me confidence, particularly in relation to that technical component of the case study, because um, 
Yeah. Yeah, what I quickly realised, although I studied finance at university, there actually isn't a whole lot of overlap um, with what I learned at university anyway um, um, compared to sort of the, um, you know, the investment uh, banking topics, you know, different valuation methodologies, um, you know, how to think, you know, about the best strategic fit, those sorts of things uh, sort of didn't, I needed to sort of get up to scratch with. So in that aspect, I think there are some really useful resources. Um, there's an investment banking um, textbook. It's, it's by um, Rosenbaum um, and someone else, which is accessible on the internet as, as well as the, um, you know, the inter, uh, interview guides, investment banking interview guides, which are also accessible on the on the internet. You know, they're a guide. You can download PDFs where they'll give you, you know, 100 potential investment banking questions. So those sorts of things um, are quite helpful as well. Um, in terms of commercial, I sort of touched on before, reading the AFR, um, that sort of stuff's helpful. But I think in terms of behavioural, um, there's no prep required at all. We just really want to get to know get to know you, um, understand sort of what your motivations are, what, what are your hobbies, um, what's your experience been, um, you know, do we, do we like you, do we think you'd fit into the team? It's really as simple as that. So um, in, in terms of that, that one in particular, there's, just be yourself, there's not much you can do. Yeah, great. I think that's great to note, especially on the behavioural questions for a lot of students, they probably don't have like maybe um, like traditional like experience maybe in the workplace, but I guess that's not super important um, and you can probably draw on like a more varied range of experiences. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I mean, we probably won't even, won't even talk too much about about um you know work experience you might touch on uni and those sorts of things in that one but i think um you know one of my favorite interviews out of the three is really the um commercial interview because um yeah we are just really you know expecting that people haven't done that much but do they sort of have the ability to think commercially so you know any an example of a, a question that that i usually like to ask is you know what was your first job um do you think it was a good business and why? Interesting. Like something like that, just sort of really test that ability to sort of reflect um, and sort of, you know, what made that, that business good? Um, do you sort of have that that basic understanding um, and can you sort of explain that, it's like that sort of stuff? So, um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting, that interview. And a lot of, I think that's, that's the one, the commercial one, in which uh, a lot of people can really differentiate themselves because everyone can cram for the technical one. They can they can learn about a DCF and they can learn about trading comps and those sorts of things. Um, but the commercial one is it really comes across those people that have um, been invested for a while and and um, yeah have the ability to think commercially. Yeah. So, like I know you already sort of said it's not something that you can really study for. Like it's not like there's like set answers, and I'm sure all of um, like the commercial questions are quite varied, but mm. aside from like being up to date with the markets and that kind of thing, is there any other preparation you'd suggest to students or any other way they can like be ready for those sorts of questions? Oh, I think, I think um, sort of just, you know, involving yourself in, in the environment in terms of, you know, start speaking to people in the industry. Um, that sort of gets your brain ticking, you know, you'll come across financial topics you can sort of build on that with your own reading. Um, uh, you know, once you sort of 
you start going to these things, you should usually meet people as well that are obviously have similar aspirations and you can start speaking to them and it sort of just builds, your knowledge accumulates quite quickly when you put yourself into that environment because you start actually talking about financial topics and, uh, you know, the industry and trends and deals and those sort of things that comes comes pretty naturally. Um, I think I think that helped me a lot um, in particular because I didn't have any friends or anything that, that um, you know, before I sort of, started going to networking events and those sorts of things. I, I didn't really know that much about the industry. I didn't really know, um, you know, many people that, that had similar aspirations to me. So, so just sort of involving myself helped a lot in terms of my general sort of financial knowledge and um, commercial thinking um, a bit as well. But, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, if you can, if you can come to the interview and, and show you have a bit of knowledge and show that, I mean, that you're passionate about about the role and, um, you know, you have a good attitude and those sorts of things. Um, you don't need to have, you know, in-depth knowledge. We, I think I think I sort of touched on earlier, um, we we assume very limited knowledge and we're really just, really just looking for motivated, smart people um, that we think have long jeopardy because they're passionate about what they're doing. Um, so we train, train you up to do everything you need to do. So... Um, it's not like you need to know everything on day one. Uh, it's something I would like to stress, but um, it's always helpful to be able to, um, you know, show show some knowledge as well um, on those topics. Yeah, great. And I guess it's more, yeah, more so just showing that you're actually passionate and want to learn. Yes. Which I guess comes back to networking and everything. Definitely. So from that, um, are you looking more towards the potential a, cl- a candidate may have, or? the knowledge and experience that they have? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, we sort of treat, um, we sort of, you know, treat all um, interview processes um, as as really just sort of learning about the individual and working out whether they're capable to do the job rather than whether they're necessarily, um, or, you know, capable in the future with some training to do the job rather than whether they necessarily can do it right now, day one. Um, it's probably important to note that, um, I mean, UBS at the start of an internship offers um, offers a, a period of training um, in which we essentially just assume no financial knowledge at all. Like day one is, you know, what what is finance? What is the time value of money? Like, like we really go from there. Um, wow. So it, it's it's really great in terms of you know we've had we've had successful um, in, you know investment bankers that have come from arts and hadn't done any finance or you know pure law all these sorts of things uh, and that's the way we treat it so there's a, so there's a block of training um, that usually goes for about one week um, one full week of training um, as an intern and then um, for grads as well um, we we do a four to six week uh, training program uh, usually in London um, subject to COVID again um, in which it assumes zero knowledge again. So you, you go back and, you know, you cover what is finance, what is accounting, um, what is M&A, what is the capital raising, all that sort of stuff, um, which is really great, I think, because um, anyone that, that you know, is, is intelligent enough and is passionate enough and anyone that finds it interesting enough can get there pretty quickly. Um, the content isn't that difficult. It's, it's really just about providing the training and the experience such that people can um, can develop properly and um, you don't necessarily have had to have done, you know, two or three years of finance at university to, to be able to tick that box. 
for sure. Yeah, and I guess that's great because that sort of training allows for like diversity in the people that you hire, like in terms of people from different degrees and different backgrounds. That's great. Definitely, yeah, for sure. Um, and finally, how can a candidate differentiate themselves in an interview and stand out? Yeah, so it's probably a little bit related to what I was saying earlier. I think that um, that most people that sort of get to an interview stage that, that you know, I've met and that, that we met during the interview processes, they have great resumes, they're very smart, you know, they've got good ATARs, they've got uni- good university marks, etc. Um, I think what... You know, and some of those people, when you actually meet them, um, you know, they do they do have all that, but they in fact don't really know much about, um, like they haven't really, you know, spoken to the right people, they haven't really familiarised themselves with the industry. Um, they, you know, they don't really demonstrate that passion for for this. Um, they aren't able to aren't able to demonstrate that you know, they'd be a good cultural fit, etc. So. I think it's probably going back to the you know the three limbs I mentioned a little bit earlier. I think it's I think it's really about um, people that can demonstrate they have a passion for the role, as well as um, you know would fit really nicely into the culture, um, as well. So um, yeah, I think I think it's all it's all really important. We treat everyone as sort of a um, you know uh, we assess the complete person rather than just. You know, as all, all organisations will in the current day, you know, we assess everything um, and, um, you know, that, that enabled, enables us to be an, in, an informed um, position to, to ultimately make the right decision that that person will, will be a good hire um, as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of easier said than done, but I think probably probably the, the key thing to remember is just to sort of let your guard down um, particularly in, in interviews that aren't your technical interview and just try and show the real you, um, talk about things outside of finance, um, try and catch up with people, have a laugh, have a joke around, you know, don't be so serious all the time because everyone likes to have a laugh and let their guard down every now and again. Um, those are sort of things that, that I know help me in, in really good stead um, at UBS in terms of my process, um, going out for lunch, um, even going out for a beer before the interview process with people, grabbing a beer with someone, um, those sorts of things, um, yeah, really, really help. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Um, and I think that brings us to the end of our interview today. So thanks for your time today, Mike. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you and I'm sure you've provided great insight to our listeners. So thanks again for taking part. No, thank you very much for the time. Really enjoyed talking and, um, yeah, I hope, I hope some, um, hope some of the, listeners take some things out of it that'll hold them in good stead thank you for listening to another episode of bow talks please do follow us on instagram facebook and linkedin at banking on women thank you everyone bye